Howdy, Hootie Thunkers. This is the host of the Hootie Thunker podcast, Zeb, coming at you with episode 146. This episode is titled Heavy Gustav. But before we get into the main event, let's do that recommendation segment where I recommend something I would like you to check out, something that I have personally enjoyed myself and experienced and enjoy, and I think you will too. This week, I recommend Hoopla. Um, it's, uh, or, or Hoopla or Libby, I should say. Now, I think I have mentioned this before, but you can, you can get a library card for free at your local library. If you use that library number, you can read, listen, and or watch a massive library of stories for 100% free. It's a library service. It's free. It's awesome. Um, you just gotta, you know how libraries are. We all did it as kids. You borrow something, you gotta bring it back in time. They might get library fees or whatever. My local library found out they don't do late fees. Um, so if it goes over a certain amount of time, they will be like, Hey, you basically have stolen this from us and we do need you to pay for it. We, you know, we're, we'll, we're going to have to ask you to pay for the actual price of the book that we have or whatever, but they don't do late fees. That's pretty cool. Um, they found out they make less than 0.001% of all their money from late fees. So I thought that was pretty neat. Anyway, Libby is an app that I've been using for years. I've listened to some of my favorite audiobooks like the Darth Bane trilogy from Star Wars, Red Rising, um, which is a great series. Uh, there's five books out. There's, they're writing the sixth one. Ready Player One I've listened to just recently, and Ready Player Two, I'm waiting for that. To, for that, I have that on hold. Whenever it comes out, I'll binge listen to it within a week probably. But the other day I mentioned to Shannon that I wanted to listen to Carl Sagan's novel Contact. I'd seen the movie from the 90s or the 2000s, and I liked it as a kid, watched it as an adult, thought it was kind of dated, this kind of lame, the movie style. But I heard the book is great and timeless, still holds up with the movie's kind of lame. But it wasn't on Libby. I couldn't find Con Carl Sagan's novel Contact on Libby, and there was no results. I think I could read it. But I couldn't listen to it. And I'm an audiobook guy. I like to listen and walk. It's what walk my dog. It's what I do. Well, my wife, Shannon, said there's another app uh, called Hoopla. It's basically the same thing. You type in your library card number and there you go. You get it for free. No ads or anything. You borrow it. And sometimes there might not, there might, you know, a library might only have like 20 copies of an audiobook. They're digital copies, but still they can't just distribute out an, an infinite amount. And what happens is, <clears throat> let's say there's 20 copies out. It's a super popular book. Maybe there's 150 people waiting to listen to it. You're just in line. And it'll tell you, we estimate it's going to take like 10 weeks till you get this book. Okay, that's fine. I move on with my day. Then I get a notification months later. It's like, hey, remember that book you want to listen to a couple months ago? If you still want to listen to it, it's available now. Super easy, free, and it does all the work for me. I don't have to check back. I don't have to write anything on my calendar to check to see if my hold is, is available or whatever. It just does it. Sometimes people, and you can also see if someone else is waiting for it. So let's say I finish a book early. Instead of just keeping it until the, the, the borrowed time runs out, I might give it back early so that those other people can listen earlier. And, that, and you might be on the receiving or giving end of that. Sure enough, there it was uh, where Libby didn't have contact, Hoopla did. I'm amazed by how much I can listen for free. I feel so blessed to have access to so many things and, you know, so many things. Libraries are the shit. They are. They're amazing. Um, and before it was like, oh, I don't feel like, I feel like, feel like time. I don't, have the, I don't have the time. I don't feel like going physically to a library to sit down and really, who does that? <clears throat> but now with the digital age, it's the the convenience and the, the access and the the joy of the library brought to you in the most convenient way possible. So I think it's crazy <clears throat> that people play, pay for audible. I get it. Not every book is going to be in the library, new ones, but 
uh, so many are. If there's some book series that you want to listen to and it's uh, it's on Audible or maybe you want to go out and buy it, that's fine. Go ahead. But know that there's a very good chance that same thing is free to you to use for you to use through these apps or through your library. Um, so typically since I recommend a title and not a service, I'm, I tell you about the book I'm currently listening to on Hoopla. Contact is a 1985 hard science fiction novel by American scientist Carl Sagan. It deals with the theme of contact between humanity and a more technologically advanced extraterrestrial life form. It's ranked number, it ranked number seven in the 1985 U.S. bestseller list. So, and Carl Sagan's an absolute legend in scientific world. So that's what I'm listening to now. Go check it out. Listen to audiobooks, read books for free. Now for the main event, another World War II episode inspired by a scene from Breaking Bad, my favorite drama series of all time. Here's the scene I'm talking about. I actually have the audio clip. Check it out. What's this stuff called again? Thermite. And that will cut through a lock. Because this is supposed to be one big-ass lock. In World War II, the Germans had an artillery piece. It's the biggest in the world, called the Gustav gun. It weighed a thousand tons. The Gustav was capable of firing a seven-ton shell and hitting a target accurately 23 miles away. I mean, you could drop bombs on it every day for a month without ever disabling it. But you drop a commando, one man with just a bag of this and he could melt right through four inches of solid steel and destroy that gun forever so there you go that's the reference um what basically inspired me to make this episode a scene that i saw from breaking bad that made me think huh is that real what's this what's the truth story behind this gigantic gun that Walter White wanted to uh, said you could break in with thermite, which thermite is an amazing substance. Um, it can it burn so hot. It can burn through virtually anything. So, yeah, there you go. Now I looked into it and here's what I found. In 1934, Hitler already knew he was going to invade France. The French <clears throat> had constructed the strongest fortification in existence at the time, the Maginot Line, in an attempt to stop the Germans from invading their country. If you know anything about history, didn't go so well <laughs> in the beginning. The Germans were quite badass in the beginning, but the Maginot Line was constructed to avoid the similar destruction that France had suffered from World War One. It was made up of a series of blockhouses, rail lines, and heavy fortified bunkers, very heavily fortified bunkers. Um, you know, the world saw this Maginot Line and thought it was impenetrable. The thick reinforced concrete bunkers built into the earth itself seemed untouchable by any existing weapon. Hitler had a couple ideas to get around or get through this fortification, this Maginot line, one of them being the Schwerer Gustav gun. Same thing, same exact gun that Walter White's referencing in that clip I just played. Hitler asked his high command to give him something that hadn't been built yet. He wanted something that could fire an unstoppable force at an immovable object that was the Maginot line. The, <laughs> there's going to be some German pronunciation in this episode, so have fun with that. The Oberkommando des Heeres, or the German Army High Command, asked the Essen weapons creator Friedrich Krupp AG in 1934. A Krupp was told to make a gun capable of penetrating one meter of steel armor plating or seven meters of reinforced concrete. Not easy. 
<laughs> one meter thick. That's that's over three feet thick of steel plates. <laughs> New. That's very, very strong. They also needed to make this penetrating projectile be fired from an, from a far enough distance to keep the extremely expensive gun that they're going to create protected. You want it far enough away, you don't get to bomb by the front lines. <clears throat> Eric Mueller, an engineer at Krupp, was put in charge. Eric knew his new project on his plate would be a monstrosity, something larger than has ever been had ever been built before. They estimated they need eight an 80 centimeter, a little over 31 inch, or over two and a half feet caliber that would fire a projectile weighing seven tons and being fired out of a 30 meter or 100 foot long barrel. They knew this sucker would weigh a lot, so they decided to make it deployable on rail tracks. Give you an idea when I'm saying caliber, <clears throat> that's the 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 size of the barrel of, of what is able to come out of it. A 50 cal, 50 caliber rifle, it's a sniper rifle um, or also a mounted machine gun is usually 50 cal. That's considered a very large handheld rifle, one of the biggest, and you can't really run with it. It's huge. Snipers who use a 50 cal sniper rifle, you know, they have to be, they have to have it sitting on something else. They have a little tripod at the end. It's that big. This thing, not 50. When they say 50, that means 0.5. <laughs> this, this is two and a half feet caliber. <laughs> very large. So just giving you an idea how big 80 centimeter caliber is, it's, it's gigantic. The aiming mechanism, like other railway railway mobile artillery, would only lift the barrel up and down. So how do you get it to go left and right? Well, in order to aim the gun left and right, they would have to position it strategically on a curve in the railway. So that's kind of not helpful um, or pretty difficult. So if you're, you're you have to shoot, let's say just to give you a very general idea, let's say you're in London and you want to shoot the thing over into France. Hopefully it goes that far. We'll see. You can aim up. And you can aim down with it on the gun itself. So you can aim up, hopefully it lobs higher. You can aim down, it shoots out, but it doesn't go as high, it doesn't go as far. Well, if you wanted to shoot left, if you wanted to shoot left on the bank, you had to find a railway that was curved and then move the chugga, 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 the railway far enough on the curve that this gun could shoot it that way. So it didn't have any way of aiming left and right by itself. You needed to have it built into the landscape prior to using the gun to be able to shoot it left and right luckily the uh the the range the distance this thing could shoot that's okay you could go maybe three miles back and find a curve and hopefully that would be okay so the distance did sort of make up for it but that's incredibly constrictive on you know on your strategy being like okay this gun literally can't aim left and right that's going to be really difficult to plan around while drawing up their plans, there were proposals for 85 centimeter and one meter. That's 3.2 feet caliber guns, but those didn't come to pass. It was the 80 centimeter. Uh, I guess the Nazis are like, wait, 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 wait. One meter caliber, that's a bit much. 80 centimeters, all right, we'll take it. In 1936, Hitler visited Essen and asked that his gun be battle ready for the Battle of France, the, the invasion of France, the taking on of the Maginot Line. Plans were finished and manufacturing started in early uh, 1937. The estimated completion of the gun would be in 1940, but the insane amount of steel plating needed to create the gun delayed production. And uh, the, the Gustav gun was a bit late. Now, I do have some images on the blog here. Uh, when they talk about the railway, it wasn't a simple one railway track. It was a dual railway track. So that whole needing a curve and it needs to transport and it's insanely heavy and all that stuff... 
you don't need to it's not just one train tra set of train tracks you need you need two pairs of train tracks so what you normally see a cash a passenger train running on now double that <laughs> that's how big this freaking thing was two railway tracks <laughs> in 1939 a test model was sent from crook to hillisleben for testing <laughs> the tests were successful this monster was able to penetrate the one meter uh of steel plate steel armor plating and seven meters of reinforced concrete so it did what it, what was asked of it in this testing so hitler's like happy you know he's all kicking his little german boots and he's like yes i got the guns i wanted hitler and alfred krupp met in rugenwald proving ground in 1941 hitler had two guns created and the first shot fired from the finished product went off on september 10th 1941 from a makeshift carriage then it was tested again in Poland using a 7,100 kilogram or 15,653 pound shell fired at a target nearly 40 kilometers or 25 miles away. So the the bullet, I mean, if you want to call it a bullet, it's a projectile. The shell, the thing that's being fired out of the gun weighs 7,000 kilometers or kilograms and 15,600 pounds just the bullet weighs that much just the shell so there you go just give you an idea how big this thing was it was uh bigger than any allied or axis uh, uh machinery while the gustav gun wasn't actually used during the battle of france the thing it was designed for due to it not being finished production by the time the nazis invaded the invasion itself was a success so the gustav gun like i said whole lots of steel plating needed couldn't get done production in time wasn't used in the thing it was designed for however hitler's like i am not going to not use this this glorious toy of which i want to use so he did use it but uh just to give you a little history lesson instead of getting bogged down by the vaginal line as uh, as things played out in world war one stagnant trench warfare german forces went around it <laughs> driving their tanks through a wilderness area in the neighboring belgium that the french wrongly assumed would be impenetrable so <laughs> the French made this Maginot line, like I said, one of the most daunting lines of defense ever seen ever. And they were like, hey, <laughs> what about that patch of woods over there called <laughs> that, that patch of woods over there? Do you think the Germans going to come through that? Like, oh, no, <laughs> there's no 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 way a tank could go through woods, can drive over trees. No way. <laughs> if, if you've seen any history videos, German tanks and tanks by World War Two plowed over trees like they were nothing <laughs> like like a lawnmower plows through grass uh, and they went right through the woods <laughs> now i do have a diary entry from rommel the uh, leader of the nazi seventh panzer division we were i'll say in a german accent fifa through the maginot line it was hardly conceivable 22 years before we had stood for four and a half long years before this self-same enemy and had won victory after victory, but yet finally lost the war. And now we had broken through the renowned Maginot Line and were driving deep into enemy territory. It was not just a beautiful dream, it was reality. I don't know what that accent turned into, but yeah, that's what he said. Uh, Rommel was like, dude, I did not... Ex people who th really wanted to break the Maginot Line had weird ideas. Um, even the people who said, hey, let's go through Belgium. 
they didn't expect it to work. They thought the Magical Line was so big, there was no way. However, the, the Nazis were like, wow, that was easy. Let's go take Paris. <laughs> the Maginot Line was intended to force the Germans to attack through Belgium and in a sense succeeded in this um, because Belgium, they thought, would be more heavily fortified. The German attack through the Ardennes was an act of desperation on their part that very few of their generals thought would succeed. And it came as, it came as a surprise even to the supporters of the idea when it did, when it did work. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a crazy part of the May World War II, so even crazier, uh, Germany taking France, because France was such a big competitor and had kicked their ass in the last World War. Uh, but also, if you want to super simplify it, there are some pretty funny memes where it's like, who would win an impenetrable, impenetrable fortification armed to the teeth that could withstand both land and air attacks? Literally, the... the uh, <laughs> the uh, strategy of just going around it works. That's what worked. Just walk around it. <laughs> Now, Gustav didn't get to play a part in this Maginot line, and turns out they didn't need it at all. Just going around it worked. However, Gustav did get deployed other times. The uh, the Schwer, the Schwerer Gustav, which translates to Heavy Gustav, the name of my episode, the Schwerer Gustav didn't get to perform in the battle it was designed for. Germany was successful and had a lot more plans for battle in the coming years, so Gustav would have its day. The Gustav gun was deployed a few times throughout World War II, but the only operation where it was used extensively was in the siege of Sevastopol, part of Operation Barbarossa on the Eastern Front against the Germans. So it was the heaviest piece of mobile artillery ever built and the largest caliber rifle weapon ever used in war, and... You know, it's hard to, um, other than pictures, we have no idea what it was really like to fight against something like this. Today, it was insane. I imagine it's similar to, you know, second world, third world countries fighting the U.S. now. Just, it, I, I couldn't imagine being in an area where this thing, even within a mile of this thing firing, it was so large. It was the heaviest piece of mobile artillery, and it was designed and developed by the Krupp family to be a siege weapon. So, the idea was it's not supposed to be a defensive weapon. This is an attacking weapon. Uh, a siege weapon. Siege is a military operation in which the enemy forces surround a town or building or area, cutting off essential supplies. And, you know, similar idea as the catapults used in medieval time. This was a siege weapon, the Gustav gun, as to shoot things really far and knock stuff down. The fully assembled gun, Gustav gun, weighed nearly 1,350 tons and could fire shells weighing 7 tons to a range of 47 kilometers or 29 miles. It took five weeks and over 4,000 people to get the Gustav gun ready at the siege of Sevastopol. But they did, and it fired. The seven-ton shells could break through seven meters of reinforced concrete. There was a major downside to this big boy, though. It took 500 people just to fire the damn thing, and it took about 4,000 people to transport it, protect it, operate it on the battlefield just uh, 1,500 soldiers were needed to protect the gun from enemy aircraft. Because if you imagine you're in, a, you're in a plane, you see this, what looks like a small town, you go, holy crap, <laughs> does that giant factory building have a cannon coming out of it? Oh my god, that's a siege gun, we should destroy it. Well, they needed 1,500 guys to keep those airplanes from, from blowing it up because it's so expensive and such. So much, so much resources were put into just creating and getting this thing there they had to protect it so it took five days just to assemble it once it got to sevastopol but they did it by the time the siege of sevastopol was over the city was destroyed the 500 band crew running the gun had fired it 48 times 
through the siege. The Gustav uh, destroyed several high-value targets, including a munitions depot located roughly 30 meters or 98 feet below ground level. It shot at a target that was 98 feet below ground and destroyed it. It crumpled it. 98 feet of, of ground. You would think you'd be impenetrable from a nuclear blast. No, the, the Gustav gun's gonna find you. My gosh, those 48 shots com compromised the gun. You know, they're so heavy, so much is going into that. It compromised the gun. The 100-foot barrel after the siege of Sevastopol had to be replaced after that siege because it had shot so much and had been subjected to so much punishment from its, its uh, shelling. After Sevastopol, the Gustav gun was moved to Leningrad, and then for an entire winter, this giant black gun, the largest ever created, loomed outside the city. Before the, the Gustav could be used at Leningrad, the attack was called off, but I feel like seeing this town-sized gun outside your city would definitely have some kind of psychological effect. You'd be like, holy crap, I give up. <laughs> There was a, a second gun created and used in battle. It was a similar model named the Dora after the engineer Eric Mueller's wife. You know, how romantic. Maybe I will get Shannon a similar present for this upcoming Valentine's Day in a few days. Now, where do I get an engineering degree, 1,400 tons of steel, and over 7 million Reichmarks, or $24 million US, uh, US dollars worth of funding to make another largest gun ever created so I can call it Shannon? Uh, that, uh, oops, hope you don't listen to this episode, honey. That might be your Valentine's Day gift. Spoiler. <laughs> Make you the largest siege weapon ever created. Another model called the, the Langa Gustav was a second generation model of the Gustav gun. It had smaller shells, about 1,500 pounds, smaller caliber, only 52 centimeters instead of 80. It's about 20 inches, but a longer barrel, 43 meters, 141 foot barrel for a much long, longer range. It could shoot 118 miles. This gun, the Langa Gustav, could have shot from their the Germans' claimed territory in Calais, France, and reached London. The, literally, a mobile artillery gun could shoot from France and hit London, all the way inland into London. Luckily, an RAF bombing run destroyed the Langer Gustav while it was still in construction, so that thing never saw, you know, the light of day fully formed. And now, here's the real, the real demon that was hidden amongst the papers. The third-gen Gustav gun was something from pure nightmare. The Landkruse P-1500 Monster was going to be a Gustav gun tank on, like, it could just roam around, but also was going, or, you know, with a... Uh, it's going to have the 80 centimeter caliber, just like the original Gustav gun, Generation 1, but also was going to have two heavy howitzer guns and an MG-151 autocannons for anti-aircraft capabilities. This thing was a small town on tank tracks. I see there's images, uh, you know, drawings of it and like a large, like semi-automatic truck wouldn't even come up to this thing's waist. This thing was huge. And if they ever created it, it, it would have been something out of, like, a steampunk sci-fi horror book. Crazy. Gen 3 Gustav Line Cruiser P-1500 Monster was never built. Thank God we beat the Nazis for many reasons. There's so many small reasons. I'm so glad this thing was never made. 
Some say the third generation project was scrapped by the engineers before the prototype phase. Others say it was really just an urban myth and never was going to be a thing. But if it was made, it would have weighed over 500 tons more than the heaviest tank that ever was built, the Panzer 8 Maus. The Germans dismantled the Sverhagun, Sverhagun, or the heavy Gustav gun, before they had lost the war. They didn't want to get in enemy hands. In the end, the Germans realized the Gustav gun was too damn clunky. Over 4,000 soldiers were taken off the front line and needed to operate it. It took forever to transport and assemble. And once it was finally set up, protected and manned, its rate of fire was only about 14 rounds per day. It took hours to calibrate the damn thing after every shot. So Gustav was destroyed by the Germans during the end of the war in the 1945 to avoid capture by the Soviet Red Army. The weapons ruins were found on April 22, 1945 in a forest near Auerbach and Klemnitz. After the Soviets got a chance to study it, they sent it to uh, Merseburg, where the remains were lost. We have no idea where the original Gustav gun remains are now. I mean, and it's probably just hunks of rusty steel. Dora, the second and last Gustav to ever be used in combat, was destroyed April 19th and discovered by American troops a few days later. Today, some of those remains of Dora are kept in the Dresden Military History Museum of uh, Bundeswehr. So there you go. That's the story of the Gustav gun. The Schwerha Gustav was the largest caliber rifle weapon ever used in combat, and in terms of overall weight, the heaviest mobile artillery piece ever built. It fired the heaviest shells of any artillery piece. It was it was surpassed in caliber only by the unused British Malay mortar and the American Little David bombing testing mortar, uh, both at 36 inches or 91 centimeters, but the Gustav was the only one out of those three to be actually used in combat. So there you go. I just thought we'd do a little episode about a cool clip I heard on Breaking Bad. And I hope you enjoyed Huda Thunkers. Uh, until next week.